Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, I introduced to you a fellow by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew living in the 5th century B.C. who occupied a very important position in the court of the Persian king. He was the king's cupbearer. In those days, the cupbearer was not only the king's personal wine steward, he would always taste the wine before it was given to the king, lest it be poison. He also served as a personal advisor and chief financial officer. So when a delegation came from far away Jerusalem and uh, they were desiring the king's help, they were directed to meet with Nehemiah. Well, the delegates from the city explained to, from the city of Jerusalem, explained to Nehemiah the, uh, the fact that Jerusalem's walls were in a sad state of disrepair. Uh, their reconstruction efforts were coming to naught. They were experiencing opposition from every side. And people were suffering there in Jerusalem. They were vulnerable to attack. Everybody knew that a city without protective walls would be, the, be, would be a city that would be invaded by the next horde, you know, uh, coming in. The walls were crucial to any city back then. And so Nehemiah's heart was broken over the news. Jerusalem, after all, was that very special city in which God had caused His name to dwell. And the city was in a mess. And right then and there, Nehemiah determined that God had put into his heart a desire and a call to do something about it. He would take up the cause and the burden of his people so that God was calling him to go to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. The cupbearer was to become now a master builder. This calling from God became a powerful motivating factor in Nehemiah's life. It was something that he simply had to do. Now, when God wants something to be done in this world of His, He lays it upon somebody's heart to do it. God is constantly calling His people to partner with him in his mission to rebuild this broken down, sin-sick world. God is calling you and me to particular work as kingdom builders. Now, remember that it is not we who ultimately bring in God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. That's God's job. But God wants to use you and me in this grand building project of God's to repair, to restore, to fix a broken world. So what then, as I was saying last week, what then has God laid upon each of you to do, to do, to care about? What is your own particular Jerusalem? Where do you feel, where do we feel a God-given passion to make a difference? It's your calling is the thing you must do. The Apostle Paul wrote 
I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For Paul, preaching was the one thing that he had to do, to be true to himself and true to his calling. Our God-given calling is, the, is that inner oughtness we feel, that positive burden placed in our heart by God to make a difference somewhere. What is that thing? What is that burden that you feel? Now, Nehemiah had to do something about the sad state of Jerusalem. He couldn't get it off his mind. It kept coming back to him. He felt compelled to take action. The burden weighed heavily upon his heart. It's the thing that he had to do. No avoiding it. And so what we do need to ask, when you think about our own life, is there something that we just have to do? Do you feel an inner compulsion to do something or to take care of some need? And that will be different for each of us depending upon what we care about, where we are in life, and how God has wired us in terms of our unique giftedness and personality. But to what or to whom is God calling you to serve? I think many of us feel called by God to do something, but we don't know what that something is. And yet, more often than not, the opportunity to serve lies right in front of us. We may be going about our own business only to come across a situation or a need that we can't avoid. Whether it's a neighbor in crisis or a relationship that needs to, to mend or a cause to take up, it has our name on it. We go about our busy life and it just keeps bouncing back to take center stage of our attention. It calls for our intervention. We didn't go looking for it. It came to us. And now we feel this burden to do something about it. It's that thing that comes along our path that has our name on it. It's that thing that we just have to do. Now, this is how this works in real life, as I've seen it witnessed in this church. And um, uh, uh, there is one gentleman here who uh, heard me talk about prison ministry, about Kairos prison ministry, and how those, uh, those inmates over there, they need God in their life. And we can come alongside them and befriend them and, you know, and, and help them to uh, begin to have a life that's repaired and restored. Uh, and so as he heard me talking about it from the pulpit, he, really, he, he says almost literally, right, Jerry? Almost literally, he felt God knocking on his head <laughs> saying, that's you, Jerry. Jerry knew that his name was on it. Where is Jerry? There you are, right in front of me. By golly. The only epiphany he's ever had, but it was very clear, like uh, clear as a bell, and I, I'm, I'm very proud of Jerry because he became the state uh, uh, chapter head or whatever uh, for Kairos and uh, has been doing a lot of, and continues to do great things through Kairos. So, but it was the thing that he had to do. I mean, it was just obvious to him, but it was right along his path. He wasn't looking for it. It came to him, right? A uh, young woman came to our staff meeting the other day. Uh, I can tell you who it is because I asked for her permission, Jamie Biren. And Jamie came in and said, you know, really, God has really put on my heart 
a desire to want to meet with the, the younger women in our student ministry to come alongside them and have conversations with them about life, uh, about their values, about sexuality, about their identity. Uh, I didn't want to do it at first, but I really feel like God's calling me to do this. And so she's putting together a group of young women where they can talk about life from a Christian perspective. How cool is that? But God had placed it in her heart. She wasn't necessarily looking for it, but it came to her. It had her name on it, right? And so she's going to do that. Pretty cool. A number of people in our church have responded to a call to become Stephen ministers. These are people who want to uh, come alongside people in crisis in the congregation or, or uh, just be a caring friend and know how best to, to uh, come alongside them from a, in a Christian way. And uh, so they've become Stephen ministers. They felt God's call upon their lives. That position had their name on it. And so it goes, you know, uh, I can go on and on and on. Um, Note that Nehemiah didn't go looking for God's call. You know, he didn't take a spiritual gifts inventory and try and figure out what he was supposed to do in life. But it came to him. He was very happily minding his own business, tending to the needs of the, of the Persian court. But he learns that his people in the land of Judah are suffering, that the city of Jerusalem was in shambles. He couldn't get it out of his mind. He had to do something. God had put it in his heart, a desire to call to rebuild its walls. It seems that he was the right person at the right time with the right skills to make it happen. And what's instructive for us is how Nehemiah responded to that particular call. And so we pick up the story. This is Nehemiah's account of how he carried out this task and uh, reading from the second chapter. <clears throat> In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad and when you are not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your, will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me, cavalry. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. 
I went to Jerusalem after staying there three days. I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley of gate, through the valley gate toward the jackal wall and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Well, you and I can learn a lot from the way in which Nehemiah responded to God's call to rebuild the walls. And uh, in good sermonic form, let's think in terms of the three P's. The three P's. And the first P is patience. First of all, there's a need for patience in order to prepare ourselves to do what God is calling us to do. Nehemiah mentions that it was the month of Nisan when he made his burden known to the king. That's four months after he first heard about the news from the delegation that had come from Jerusalem. He lived with this burden for four months before he said or did anything. So what was he doing during this time? Why the delay? Well, we're not told, but chances are he was praying and he was personally preparing himself for his undertaking so that before marching off impulsively to rebuild Jerusalem, he wanted to be prayerful and thoughtful, intentional and focused. Perhaps uh, there were some other things in his life that, need, that he needed to attend to as well until he was free to act. I always think it's interesting that when the Apostle Paul uh, was converted to uh, Christ on the road to Damascus, after he received his call to preach to the Gentiles, Paul went to Arabia for three years. He waited before taking action, before really pursuing his call. Actually, his preparation was part of his call. But he waited in prayer, personally prepared himself for his life's work, Three years of your life is a long time to prepare. You had to be patient. And yet it was crucial to his effectiveness in the Lord's service. He needed to not only prepare himself spiritually, but he needed to await God's timing. So when it comes out to living out our call from God, whatever it is, patience is a virtue. God often calls us to wait before we run out to take action. Remember uh, Jesus, uh, after his resurrection, uh, told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem before going out, right? They had to exercise some patience in sharing that good news because they themselves had to be prepared through the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we need to be patient before we can really set out to, to take action. 
We need to remove the clutter and distractions from our lives so that we can do what matters most. Sometimes we have to wait for circumstantial factors to line up appropriately for the right doors to open. Maybe we have to wait a while for more confirmation for the change, that the change or the action we think God's calling us to is, in fact, God's will for our lives, not just a knee-jerk reaction on our part. Perhaps we need more time to walk more closely with the Lord so as to align our spirit with His spirit. So patience. And if patience is important, so too is planning, the second P. God's call upon our lives engages not only our heart, but our mind. Nehemiah thought through what needed to be done. He came up with a strategy. He would not only need the approval of the king, but he would have to secure the cooperation of others in positions of power and influence. He would have to win guarantees of safe conduct through the lands he would travel. He would need access to timber and to other building supplies. And arriving in Jerusalem, he would need to investigate the situation thoroughly, examining the condition of the walls, which he did by night. So we have to ask, what planning is necessary for you and me to address the need to which God is calling us? So it makes sense for us to ask some key questions, right? Who are some of the key people whose approvals or assistance we may need? What resources need, need to be gathered or mobilized in order to make a good start? What are my first steps as I approach, appreci- as I, sorry, as I approach this need or challenge? And what problems can I anticipate to crop up along the way? But you see, it's so easy for us to be, get seized by some great passion. We want to do something, and we go charging out into the world as an agent of change and healing, only to fail or give up. And it may be because we lack the discipline to be patient or to plan. As Proverbs 21.4 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So how could the disciplines of greater patience and more thoughtful planning benefit us as we seek to respond to God's call? Patience, planning, And then the third P is possibilities. Patience, planning, and possibilities. Nehemiah, to his credit, refused to be intimidated by the obstacles in the way. And the obstacles were huge, not the least of which was trying to convince the king to let him go to Jerusalem. The text tells us that the king noticed Nehemiah's unhappy demeanor and that Nehemiah was fearful of what the king might do. We read, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. It was expected that the joy of being in the king's presence would be reflected on every servant's face. For a servant to show sorrow or distress before the king would be deemed offensive to the king. And a servant might well be thrown into prison or lose his life. Nehemiah knew this, you know. 
you have to maintain a joyful demeanor at all times. So after a quick prayer, Nehemiah regained his composure and courageously shared his heart's burden with the king, not knowing how the king would respond. But his prayer was answered. The king responded favorably, thanked the Lord, and that was one huge obstacle overcome. When Nehemiah went to Jerusalem and surveyed the walls of the city, he could well have been overwhelmed by the enormity of the task. To make matters worse, there were people in the land he knew who would oppose their efforts at every turn. So that Nehemiah could have given up before he even started, thinking it was too much, but he refused to give in to defeat. And then as he looked at his fellow Jews in the city who had become so discouraged and burned out, so apathetic, Nehemiah, again to his credit, saw potential and called the people to greatness. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Come on, let's rise up and build. In other words, Nehemiah was a can-do kind of a guy. He was the Russell Wilson of his day. He was positive. He was upbeat. He was a man full of faith. We can do this. And he knew that God would prosper them. He focused on the possibilities rather than on all the obstacles. I love the way Nehemiah rallied the people around the vision and the passion. He cast the vision, and the people followed. And that's the sign of a great leader. No matter how badly things are broken, no matter how great the obstacles, builders never stop picturing what is possible when the gracious hand of God is at work through His servants. As Henry Blackaby, who was the author of Experiencing God, put it, the chief problem confronting humanity today is not lack of resources, but the lack of a God-sized vision. We don't think big enough. We forget how big our God is. God has called us to do great things. So as you and I live out our God-given passion, responding to God's call to rebuild that which is broken in our world, May you and I be instructed by the example of Nehemiah, who with patience and planning and a focus on the possibilities was able to overcome every obstacle. So come, let's rise up and build to the glory of God. God wants to use you and me in His redemptive mission to the world. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be more spiritually attentive, to be attentive to the needs right around us that sometimes lie right in front of us. Yet we admit, Lord, we confess that so often we uh, are oblivious to it or we intentionally walk around it thinking it's not our job. 
And yet you call us to do oftentimes that which is difficult, that which is hard, where the obstacles loom large. So, Lord, use us to build that which is broken. Take us, our particular situation in life, the particular way that you have wired us, our gifts, our talents, our abilities. Use them to fulfill your good purpose for others in this world. Indeed, to you be all praise and glory. Amen.